the reading of God's word this week will be from 1 Corinthians chapter 18, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to verse 25. Okay, so this is the reading of God's word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, this week's sermon will be delivered by Pastor James Park. Uh, those of you who may have just met him, some of you already know him, but he kind of just started in our church, and unfortunately this thing came down, and so... Um, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. He was really eager to get to know the church, but I thought this was also a good way to to hear the word of God from a minister in our church. And so I'm going to hand it over to Pastor James as he gives us the word of God. Thank you, Pastor Francis. And uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, hope everyone is staying uh, safe, staying healthy. Uh, um, our family has definitely been praying for uh, for all of us and uh, for many of the things that Pastor Francis uh, talked about. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a pleasure to be able to uh, see you all. Well, I don't really see you right now, but to be able to uh, speak to you all through uh, through this online uh, worship, I guess, medium. And uh, yeah, it is a pleasure to be able to preach the Word of God this morning. Uh, let, me, uh, let me first pray for us. We'll, we'll go from there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you that even in spite of these difficult circumstances, Lord, that uh, we are able to trust in you, to worship you, to be able to gather together as a community, as, as the church, to be able to worship you, Lord, as, as, as the body of Christ. And Father, we pray at this time that you would help us to be reminded of your grace, reminded of your mercy. We, should, we would be reminded of who you are and that we would just respond with worship unto you as we trust in you, Lord. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today we're actually in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. I know, um, I know Pastor Francis started ago in this book and I think his uh, desire was to kind of go through the book of 1 Corinthians and I, um, I have just the privilege of kind of jumping in here uh, still in chapter 1 uh, and we we ended last week in verse 17 and so we're kind of going from verse 18 onwards and it's just a, it's just a packed uh, awesome uh, wonderful word that we see from the Apostle Paul. And, and the first thing I want to see is if you look at verse 17, which is where Pastor Francis left off last week, Paul writes, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And, and so he, he makes it very clear, right, that his, his calling is to preach the gospel, the message of the cross. And he's not going to do it with words of eloquent wisdom, as maybe the people in the, in the world would do, but he, he just wants to plainly really make clear, you know, through the preaching, he wants to make clear the gospel. And so today in verse 18, it, well, he's kind of continuing that thought as he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? So for the word of the cross is folly to the perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's as if somebody asked him, well, why, why do you preach the gospel, Paul? Why do you preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom? And he's saying, because the word of the cross, the gospel message, it may be folly to the perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is, it is God's power. See, what, what Paul is doing here is he's dividing everyone into two classes of people, to the perishing and to those who are being saved. Now, if you look at Roman times, there may have been different ways for people to divide to divide others. You know, maybe it might be freedmen and slaves or Greeks versus barbarians, right? Or Roman citizens and non-citizens, right? Jewish people might just, you know, separate the Jewish people of God and obviously everybody else, the Gentiles. And in today's society, we may divide people in different ways as well. Uh, it might be politically, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, it might be, you know, citizens, American citizens or non-citizens. It might be by ethnicity, right, by race, by economic classes. And, you know, there's different ways of dividing. But Paul is really making it clear to us there's only one distinction that truly matters. Either you are somebody who is perishing or you are someone who is being saved. See, 10,000 years from now, it's not going to matter what country you are a citizen of. It's not really going to matter what ethnicity you are a part of. It's not going to matter all these different classes really are. But 10,000 years from now, it's going to matter. Am I someone who was perishing or am I someone who was being saved? Am I a child of God or am I a child of wrath? Am I someone who is reconciled to God or somebody who is not? And so what Paul is saying off the bat is the word of the cross, this gospel message to those who are perishing, it's, it's foolishness. It's folly, right? The, the word is moria or coming from moros, really, which is where we get the word moron or moronic. And so he's saying it's it's. It's foolishness to those who do not believe, to those who are perishing. It's just complete foolishness. But to those of us who know Christ, to those of us who are being saved, this gospel message, the message of the cross, it is power. It is the power of God to save sinners like us. That word power comes from dunamis, which is the word where we get the word dynamite, right? It's power. God uses the word of the cross, the message of the cross. God uses the gospel message 
to save sinners like us. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 1.16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we see the point Paul is making off the bat is there's a dividing point, and it's the cross. And for those who are perishing, the cross is but to those who are being saved, to the people of God, it is wisdom. But it is not just wisdom, it is transforming power to the saved. It is something that is completely life-changing. So then you will wonder, okay, well, if the message of the cross, if if the word of the cross, if it is if it is folly to the perishing, then what, what do the perishing want? Right? What does the world want? And Paul is saying the world wants wisdom. But not godly wisdom, right? Not wisdom that comes from the Lord. People seem to want a wisdom that is man-centered, that comes from themselves. A man-centered, human-centered, worldly wisdom. And Paul is making clear in this passage that worldly wisdom is not going to be enough. It can't save you. It is insufficient. As we look at verse 19, Paul quotes from Isaiah 29, and he, he writes, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God will destroy human pretensions to strength and wisdom. And one of the things I think we have to be reminded is all human wisdom that does not start from God, right? Not God-centered wisdom, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But all worldly human wisdom that does not have God at its center, it's, it's coming from a sinful, self-centered, man-centered, human-centered place. Ultimately, it's all about me. We are sinners who, instead of worshiping God, right, as sinners, we, we want to worship ourselves. It's all about me. And, and, you know, somebody once reminded me, if you ever think you're not self-centered, he said, look at, look, at a, look at a picture. Look at a group picture of your childhood, of, you know, your teenage years, of current day. When, if there's 20 people, 30 people in the picture, when you look at the picture, where do you go? You look for yourself, right? You, you, you look, where am I? Somebody asks you, is that a good picture? My answer is dependent upon how do I look in that picture. And I remember myself when someone, you know, takes a picture of a group of us and they say, oh, you know, what do you think? I don't, I don't look at the other people, right? I look at myself. Oh, I look good in that picture. Yeah, that's a great picture. Or, oh, no, I, I look terrible in that picture. So that, let's not use that one. Right? We're, we're self-centered even in those little things. Everything's related to me. It's all about me. And that's the problem with sin. It's not about God. It's all about me. And God is saying here that he will destroy the wisdom of the wise, all human pretension to wisdom, the discernment of discerning, I will thwart. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, we see the Israelites, instead of trusting in God in their time of need, they turn to human wisdom. But God is the one that saves. And so it's a reminder here. 
is the wisdom of the world will not save you. It is not enough. You need the Lord. You need the message of the cross. And in that line of thought, Paul continues. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Now, the wise man in the Greco-Roman world, I mean, this is a little bit debated, but I think scholars, um, or a number of them will say that the wise person here is probably talking about somebody who is a philosopher or maybe a Stoic or Epicurean. It's, it's someone who has a wise way of explaining the world. Somebody who has a worldview that sounded educated, that sounded smart. And so people will listen to a, a philosopher and they will say, oh, that, that makes sense. Right? The things that I go through in my life, it, it makes sense in your worldview. So you had these different competing philosophies as these were the, the wise people, the wise men. But the question is, which philosopher can help you get to God? What philosophy of this world can save us, can reconcile us to our maker? And the answer is none. Where is the scribe? Where is the scholar? And again, a lot of scholars think that by scribe, Paul is talking about perhaps a Jewish scribe, a Jewish scholar who was an expert of the law, expert at applying the Old Testament law into people's lives. And they were probably respected. But again, how can this scribe reconcile you to God? How can the scribe save you? He can't. Where is the debater of this age? Probably an orator who was acclaimed and respected as a presenter of views. People wanted to hear what these debaters had to say. They were smart. They were excellent in their arguments. But again, can they save you? And, and these three different ways of talking about wisdom is really Paul's way of saying, look, the world's wisdom, it's exposed. The world's wisdom, it's, it's actually folly because it cannot save people. It cannot figure out how to get us to God. That's why it says in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What is Paul saying? He's saying human wisdom, human wisdom can't save you. Human wisdom is filled with pride. Human wisdom is made in the image of human fallenness. We are fallen, we are sinful. So all of our wisdom that does not have God at the center of it, it is fallen, it is incomplete, it is insufficient. God is going to destroy this kind of wisdom. And so no matter how smart you think you are, the wisdom of the world did not know God through its wisdom. And so it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, through the gospel message to save those who believe. It's a reminder, right? Those who are perishing, are, they think they're being wise, but they're actually being foolish. And those who are being saved, even though the world thinks what we believe is foolish, it is actually true wisdom. And so then Paul kind of goes a little deeper into elements of this worldly wisdom. And if you look at 
verse 22, Paul says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. So what does Paul do? He's dividing this group that he calls the perishing into two groups. And he has the Jews who are seeking miraculous signs and the Greeks who, who are seeking wisdom. Now, if you remember the Jews talking to Jesus in the Gospels, they, they demand signs of Christ. And the interesting thing is, you know, Jesus did many, many miracles. He did. He healed the sick. He drove out demons. He even raised the dead back to life. And he did amazing miracles. And yet, people were demanding signs. And when they would demand the signs, Jesus would not give them the signs that they wanted. But they wanted signs that they thought would authenticate Jesus. They wanted miraculous signs that would show the authoritative power of Jesus. And really what it was, was they wanted Jesus to do the signs that they wanted to see. They wanted Jesus to be somebody who would give them what they wanted, to do the signs that made them happy. And Jesus would not do their bidding. Because our God is not a God that we can just control and demand that he does what we want him to do. But if we're being honest, even us today, even as believers, even as children of God who follow Christ, we often demand signs from God, don't we? We say, God, if you love me, you need to do these things. God, I want you to show me who you truly are, your love and your goodness by doing these things for me or taking these things away from me. And whether it's wishes that we have or struggles that we have that we want removed, we demand that God do these things. And, and it's a reminder, God is, God is not a genie. God is not a divine waiter. God does not do our bidding whenever we want him to do it. No, he is sovereign. He is in control. He is God. We are not. And we have to remember that we worship and we trust him and we love him and we serve him and we follow him because of who he is. We don't demand that he does what we want. But so we see these Jews that want miraculous signs. But then Paul also talks about Greeks that seek wisdom. Now, so these Greeks, they, they weren't looking for miraculous signs from God. They weren't saying, God, if you just prove yourself to me, I will follow you. They had their own philosophy. They had their own way of life. And if they believed in God, they would say, well, God has to fit into my worldview. So the perishing are not just the Jews who wanted miraculous signs to prove to them who God is and they want to control their God. No, you had these Greeks who say, you know what? We don't, we don't really need God. We have our own way of doing things. We have our own philosophy. We have our own wisdom that works for us. And if there is a God, then he just needs to fit into this thing that we're doing. And again, us, even though we are not perishing, even though we are being saved, don't we often do that? 
You know, we'll sing songs like before the throne of God above. We'll say, Lord God, you are everything. But we look at our lives. Don't we say, I have my way of doing things. It works for me. You know, I am, I am going to do what makes sense to me, what is logical to me, what works for me and for my family. And we have our own kingdoms. We have our own philosophies. And we do things that we want God to somehow fit into our worldview. We want God to somehow fit into the way I do things. We try to squeeze him in somewhere. And that's obviously not what God wants. God wants to be the center of our lives. He is God. He's our king. He's our Lord. And we are called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as we follow him, as we love him, as we serve him, as we worship him with our lives. And so we see elements of those who are perishing and and there's a profound self-centeredness in both people want to approve god the god that they can believe in as opposed to the god who is there and even us who are not perishing even those who are being saved we often try to follow the wisdom of the world in this way and, and we shouldn't be doing that and so paul then says to us Right, we, we don't want to follow the wisdom of the world. We, we want to follow Christ. We want to follow Christ, who is the wisdom of God, who is the power of God. But before he gets there, he says in verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this is what Paul is saying. We preach Christ because Christ crucified, that is who we need. Christ is our Savior. But he's saying Christ crucified to the perishing. It is foolishness. To the perishing, it is a stumbling block. To both Jews and Gentiles alike, it doesn't make sense to them, this message of the cross. I mean, think about the message of the cross. God sent his one and only son into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ, who is God, came into the world as a man. He was born in a manger. Not a very impressive way to be born. And he lived in this world. He suffered in this world. He was tempted in this world. And he went to the cross to die on the cross. The cross was an awful way to die. Roman citizens couldn't even die on the cross unless, unless they did something really, really terrible. I mean, it was something that was reserved really for slaves, for traitors. It was an awful, horrific way to die. And it's even said that people wouldn't even talk about the, the cross in polite company because it was just awful. And yet, a crucified Messiah, a crucified Christ. To Jews, to Greeks, it made no sense. 
to the Jews, they're thinking, how could the Messiah, who is supposed to reign, who is supposed to rule, who is supposed to rescue, how can he go to a cross and be cursed on the cross to the Greeks? It makes no sense to them. What, God would become a man and he would die? This, and we get saved through someone like that? It was foolishness. It was a stumbling block. It made no sense to them. But what is Paul saying? I preach Christ. We preach Christ. Why? Because to those who were called, those, to those who God has chosen and called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. We are children of wrath. Who deserve nothing but hell, who deserve nothing but punishment, who deserve nothing but death, eternal death. We have no hope. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ, Christ, He went to the cross for sinners like us. He died the death that we deserve. Jesus was forsaken on the cross. We see his love on the cross. And when we trust in Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, when we depend on him and we say, Lord, we need you. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And when we go to Christ, we are forgiven. We are saved. We become people of God and, and the power of the cross. That's what Paul is talking about. To those of us who are being saved, Christ is the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is shown. His wisdom and His plan of salvation is seen in the cross. His power to save sinners like us is seen in the cross. And because of Jesus and His work on the cross, His death, His resurrection, even us, sinners like us, can be forgiven, can be saved. We can become children of God. It is a beautiful, amazing thing. And that is what Paul is talking about. He's saying in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Obviously, God is not foolish. Obviously, God is not weak. But what he's saying is that to the world, God may seem foolish. The way of the cross may seem foolish. Jesus may seem weak. The cross may seem so weak. And yet, here's what we know. What seems like foolishness to the world is actually wisdom. Wiser than men's true wisdom, because worldly wisdom is not even wisdom. Worldly wisdom is folly, but the cross is true wisdom. And what seems like weakness to the world, that is power, true power that we see at the cross. And so how amazing is it for us, God's people, as we trust in Christ, are crucified, Savior, we see God's wisdom, his power at the cross, and we are forgiven and we are saved. But as we are being saved, right, it's not just, we're not just justified, we are also being sanctified. But as we say no to sin, as we continue to grow in Christ, as we sin less and as we become more and more like Christ, the gospel is working powerfully in our hearts and in our lives. The message, the word of the cross is what we need for our salvation and our justification, but we're continuing to grow every day 
through the gospel, as we apply the gospel into our lives. And I think one of the ways, at least these days, that we apply the gospel into our lives is, is to help us overcome maybe the fear and the anxiety that we feel. That we look around us in today's world and it's, it's scary. Children can't go to school. People can't go to work. We can't go to church to be with our church family. You know, we can't go outside and meet people and do the things that we would normally do. And we may start wondering, when is this going to all end? When will things get better? Will things get better? How much worse can it get? And it may cause us to, to be scared, to have fear, to have anxiety as we look at the unknown. But one of the things we remember is when Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field. The birds are fed. The lilies, the flowers are beautiful. God takes care of them. Are we not more than they? We are made in the image of God. And if we are the ones being saved, we are children of God. We know that God sent his one and only son to die for sinners like us. We know that Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died for sinners like us because of his amazing love. And as we look at the word of the cross, we realize that same Savior who showed his love on the cross is continuing to love us right now. And if God would not spare his own son, if Christ would go to the cross and die for sinners like us, what would he not do for us? For me, as I look at the news, as I look at what's going on in the world, and as maybe some anxiety creeps in, I go back to that message. And I think of how God he is sovereign. He called his people. He is in control. He saves his people. And he continues to work for the good of those who love him. He continues to work for the good of those who love him. I don't know what's going to happen with all this that's going on, but I do know that we are in God's hands. As long as we are in God's hands, we are in good hands. Let me close with this illustration. I don't know if you've ever been in a car with somebody who is a terrible driver. It is, it is scary. I've been in cars with people that don't drive well, and when you're in a car with them, like your, your, your heart just starts beating. You start grabbing anything you can grab, and it's, it's frightening because you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's how a lot of parents feel when they first teach their children how to drive. They, they get scared because maybe their children don't know how to drive very well. But I don't know if you've ever been in a car with somebody who's an excellent driver. You feel at peace. I remember growing up and my father would, he would drive and he was, you know, he was a good driver. He never really got into accidents and my father would drive and, he would drink his coffee sometimes. And my father has small eyes. And sometimes he would look like he doesn't even see what's on the road because, you know, his eyes look so small to me. And he'd be drinking his coffee with one hand, listening to his favorite hymns and to singing. And, and I would just feel at peace. 
because I thought to myself, my father is a good driver. I feel safe. And obviously, he's not a perfect driver and anything could happen on the road, but it's the point I'm trying to make is this. When I know who is driving the car of my life, it's the Lord. He's driving the car of my life. He is in full control. Sometimes I don't know where he's taking me. I don't know where he's going. But I know that he is all-powerful, that he is all-loving. I know, as I look at the cross, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God. And so I put myself in his hands. And I say, Lord, wherever you take me, I trust in you. Christ is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is also my Lord and my Savior. And I follow you always. And I worship you. And I live my life for your glory, trusting in you fully. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this day. 